Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Can we, can we start with a point of agreement this morning? There's something that every one of us in this room can agree with. Is that possible? Everybody goes through hard times. That's the first time I've ever got a universal amen in 40, none of your business years of preaching. <laughs> I mean, physically, emotionally, uh, relationally, even spiritually, this isn't heaven, this is earth. We ain't there yet. And, and, and we're still in a place where sin has dominion and Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He has no authority over us as believers, but he does have authority over circumstances that surround us. The result is that we all find ourselves uh, facing difficult circumstances. Many of you know uh, that this past week, Wednesday night, Kim was in a lot of pain. And by Wednesday night, I looked at her and said, so are you going to the hospital dressed like that or are you changing clothes? Because we're going. And, uh, and so, you know, with the possibility of uh, with tubes and possibility of surgery and all that kind of stuff, I came to Friday night worship. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to the worship service. Do you need anything? She said, no, go, go, go. And while we were singing Friday night and we were singing a declaration song, You're My Healer, it washed all over me that Kim was healed. And so when I came to this stage, yeah, that's right, that's just, it just washed over me. And so I came to the stage and I made a declaration by faith. My wife was healed tonight. I just, I didn't know, but it just somehow in my spirit, I knew it. I went after service and to the hospital and Kim said the doctor came by. Uh, I'm going home tomorrow. Kim is home this morning. And uh, no surgery to God be the glory. Good stuff. We're in a series we're calling Consumer or Consumed, and we've been talking about this issue of worship. We've been talking uh, a good bit of the summer now on identifying the battle lines between uh, I will versus thy will, what I want versus what he has designed for me. We've been trying to combat some of the consumer mentality that has kind of invaded the church. If you missed any of those messages, let me encourage you, let me encourage you, let me encourage you to get the manuscripts and study them. Uh, there's a whole lot of meat in this series that I hope that you will take the time to digest, read those manuscripts, dig into the scriptures. Somebody said to me one time, Pastor, is it okay if I go home and look up these scriptures? And I went, is it okay? <laughs> no, I hope everybody is. Go home and look those things up and study them and let the, the scriptures speak into your heart uh, because this is critical as, as, for you as an individual and we as as a church, which is in fact why I chose this series as the first series that I would bring you as your new pastor. If you want to follow along today, you can go to the Bible app, Events, Bridge Princeton, and all of the notes and all of the scriptures that we'll be sharing in message today are there for you. You can add your notes there, save that at the end of the time. And if you decide to social media anything, use hashtag consumer or consumed. There's some really good tweetables in today's message. I hope you'll Take advantage of that and share it with your friends, but add that hashtag into it, okay? So here's what we've been doing. We've been working our way through key scriptures, but we've also been working our way through Garrett Gustafson's definition of worship. So let's read it one more time, okay? It's probably the last time we'll read it in the series, but let's get it. Whoop, back up. There it is. Whoop, back up. There, there, whoop, there it is. Here we go. Worship is the acts and attitudes. Out loud, come on. Worship is the acts and attitudes of wholeheartedly giving yourself to God, spirit, soul, mind, and body. And so we've been kind of unpacking that definition week by week and trying to get a handle on it. So let's be honest here tonight, today. It is easy to give God your whole spirit, soul, mind, and body when everything's going well. 
I mean, it's easy to come and say, hallelujah, Kim was healed, and feel like worshiping. Come on. But what do you do when the healing doesn't come? Let's be honest, guys. It doesn't always come when we want, and sometimes it doesn't come at all this side of eternity. For that reason, there's no way that I could bring to you a real series on worship without raising the question, how do you worship when you don't feel like it? How do you worship when nothing in you says, I feel like praising God right now? How do you worship when you are hurting? To answer that, we're going to go to the classic biblical passage that addresses that subject. No way we can do an in-depth study in the book of Job today, but there are four principles that I want to pull out that I think are critical for us as a church and critical for you as a, what we've been calling a spirit and truth worshiper throughout this series. And so I just want to take a few minutes and let's unpack four very specific principles. I want to help all of us to worship when we are, when we're hurting. Because if you're going to worship with your whole heart while you're worshiping, uh, while you're hurting, then you need these principles. Okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time? The first thing you got to do is you got to face reality. you got to face reality. In other words, you have to be honest with yourself about how you're really feeling, and you got to tell God how you're really feeling. The passage we're looking at is one of the oldest in the Bible. In fact, it's one of the oldest in all of human literature. We're talking about the book of Job. The book starts out with Job uh, as uh, telling us that it's this, he's this amazing, righteous man. He's been blessed by God in a host of ways. He's got a parcel of kids. He's got a lot of livestock and assets. He's a really rich dude. He's got a lot of land. He's got servants. If he wants something, he puts his hand out, and they put it in his hand. I mean, this guy is just living the lap of luxury. Verse 3 of chapter 1 actually says, he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So we got a guy that's it's kind of going well for him right now. You with me? Everybody tracking with me? Do your heads like this? Okay. And then suddenly one day a messenger shows up and says, uh, sorry boss, but I got some bad news for you. A bunch of marauders came in and, and they took all of your oxen and sheep and killed all the servants that were taking care of them. Oh man, what a bummer. About the time he's dealing with that, another messenger shows up and says, I hate to tell you this boss, you know. Uh, but all your camels have been taken by another group of marauders, and they killed all the servants who were taking care of your camels. Oh, man, are you kidding me? And then another messenger comes by and says, I hate to tell you this, but a hurricane came and knocked your house down, and all of your sons and daughters were having a party at the time, and they're all dead. What? Anybody agree with me that that is by definition a bad day? Is just, can we just, that's a bad bad day. So put yourself in his shoes if you can. Hopefully never have to deal with it at that level. But how do you think he was feeling in that moment? What kind of emotions do you think went through Job's mind, his, uh, his feelings in that moment? I can tell you that most people uh, typically feel four uh, specific emotions when they get bad news. First of all, we feel anger. I, I don't like this. I deserve better than this, right? Then we, we experience shock and denial. We go through this, this can't be happening to me. You're, you're kidding, this is not really true. Then we go through grief. 
I can't believe it. Life will never be the same. I'm never going to get over this. It's all over for me. Anybody tracking with me? Do your heads like this? Yeah. And then finally, we feel fear. So what now? What, now? Well, what do I do now? What's going to happen to me? What's coming next? Is the sky falling? I mean, is another messenger coming through the door any minute? Those are the emotions that, that we as human beings go through when we get bad news. And I dare say that Job felt every one of those emotions in that moment. It's not a question of whether you feel those emotions. The only question is, what do you do about them when you feel them? And we all know what Job did, right? Because he was a righteous man. What did Job do? Put on his best outfit, went to church, put on his favorite mask, shook hands. And when people said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm doing fine. I'm fine. How about you? Are you fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good to see you, brother. Hey, man, did you have a good week? Yeah, man. That's what he did, right? No? What does the Bible say? Verse 20, Job 1.20, at this, at this news, because of all that stuff he just got told, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Now, I don't know how you react when bad news comes. I don't think I'll shave my head, but some of you apparently got some bad news this morning. I... <laughs> or that comes naturally to you. I don't know, but <laughs> you get the essence of what's going on here. He's, he's going, Kah! he's tearing his claws off. He's shaving his head. I mean, this guy is reacting. And then what does the rest of the verse say? Then he fell to the ground in worship. Hear me, guys. This is huge. If you tune out on me and go to brunch, hear this. When you feel those emotions and you take those emotions to God, it's called worship. That's what it's called in Scripture. Because you see, our God understands our emotions. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we looked at it earlier in the series. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And we decided that all included all. Is that the hurting emotions as well as the joyful emotions? Yes, it is. So please understand something before we move on to the second principle. Uh, we're created in the image of God, right? And the Bible is very clear, God has emotions. The Bible says that God gets angry, that, he, that, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit, that, he, that Jesus wept while he was here, that Jesus felt lonely while he was here. Those are emotions that our God has. In fact, the only emotions from the list that we came up with uh, a minute ago that he's never experienced are shock and denial and fear because he's never surprised by anything. And he knows where it's going to land. So he's never shocked or in denial or afraid. But all of the other emotions, he knows them. So hear me. When Jesus said, John 4, 24, we've looked at it every week in the series, God is spirit and his worship must, worshipers must worship in, what does it say? In spirit and in truth. If you've been in the series, you know that means that our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit and that truth means that we're operating within the boundaries defined in Scripture and we're being authentic. Truth means we're being authentic with God about what's really going on. Understand, He knows your pain. And He's felt your pain. He knows your emotions. If you're hurting, then spirit and truth worship will connect 
your spirit to his in an authentic kind of way. Does this make sense? Yet somehow we've been taught through our lives that, that we, have to, we can't say this kind of stuff. Oh, oh, no, we could never say that to God. And so we fake it like he doesn't already know. Like if you say it out loud, he's going to go, whoa, I don't know that's how you felt. I guess I might have to zap you now. I mean, wow. He doesn't know what's going on. Of course he does. And so spirit and truth worship is about connecting with him authentically. It's one of my favorite things about Job. He let it out. By the time we get to chapter 7, Job is saying in verse 11, Therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Come on, Job, tell me what you're really going to do. He's putting it out there, isn't he? And, and, and unless you're wondering, Job's not the only biblical character that taught us the same principle. Look at what Jeremiah told us in Lamentations chapter 2, verse 19. He said, when you're hurting, cry out in the night. Pour your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. King David, we've talked about him a lot during this series because he was a man after God's own heart, but he was as fallible as we are. Right? He certainly saw his share of troubles in his life, some of which he brought on himself, some of which he didn't. But hear me, guys, he didn't fake it till he made it. He didn't positive confession, ignoring reality in the process. Psalm 116, verse 10 I believed, this is huge, I believed, therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. What does that say? Pastor Jim paraphrased, I believe in you so much, Lord, I'm going to trust you with how I'm really feeling. That's what he's saying. The good news paraphrase says, I kept on believing even when I said I am completely crushed. I kept on believing in you. I trust you. You. So the first principle of worshiping when you're hurting is get real about it. Get authentic about it. Get practical. Not, not just real about what's happening, but real about how you're feeling about it. In fact, I just sense in my spirit we need to stop right now and pray. We're going we're to give the other principles, don't worry, but we just need to stop right now and pray. Because I've been feeling all morning that there are a bunch of us that need to hear this. And my gut says there's a bunch of you online that need to hear this. Just, can we pause and pray? Father, you know us. We're just dust. And when the doctor gives us a diagnosis we don't like, or when our family member is hurting, or our children are struggling, or we get bad news at work, or whatever it is, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. So help us to trust you enough with our authentic feelings to be real with you. I thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as important as that is, you don't stop there. Okay? Venting will help you feel better for a few minutes, but you don't just have those emotions of grief and fear, you have a grief and fear factory. So if you vent them out, you'll just make some more. <laughs> right? So you got to go on to the other principles. Principle number two is you got to honor God. Honor God. 
In other words, first you admit this stinks, and then you decide, I'm going to praise him even though this stinks. Hello? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, New King James Version, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It does not say, for everything give thanks. Right? What does it say? In everything. I'm not thankful for the fact that Kim was in the hospital this week and that we were wondering if she was going to have to have surgery and, and worrying about all of that. We were supposed to leave for El Salvador tomorrow morning. I, mean, so I, I was not happy about all that kind of stuff, but in the midst of it all, I found myself saying I can be thankful for who God is and what he's doing in the midst of this. You aren't thankful when you get a scary diagnosis or you get laid off from your job, but you can be thankful for who God is no matter what the circumstances are in your life right now. In fact, I think that's the ultimate test of faith. I mean, anybody can praise God when everything's going well, right? The question is, will I trust him? Will I trust his character? Will I trust that he loves me when everything isn't going well? Or will I just whine and go, why? Why Why is this happening to me? Why not you? Why not you? I mean... If God will allow his son to suffer at the level that he did, why not me? He has purpose behind it. It never wastes a hurt, but why not? And I've got to be honest with you. I grew up, I grew up in church. I was rocked in a hole in this cradle when I was 10 days old. <coughs> you know, <coughs> I, don't, <coughs> I don't think I've missed church 10 times in, in all the years since then. But, and I was taught it's a sin to ask God why. I don't think you can support that biblically. Uh, but I can tell you it's a waste of time because God doesn't owe you an explanation. The Bible does not say we live by explanation. We live by faith. Paul even said sometimes we won't know till we get to the other side. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, I like the way the message paraphrases that we don't yet see things clearly. We're, we're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We will see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. When's he talking about? When we get to the other side, Right? Now we kind of, it's almost like looking through a dirty glass and we're trying to see what's going on and we don't get it. When our middle son Adam was, was quite young, he was 18 months old, he had to go to the hospital for a while. And uh, so Kim and I were taking turns sitting with him and, and it was my turn to spend the night and she went home to get some rest. And I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do, I can't sleep. And I found her, her basket of, uh, some of you guys will remember this, you ladies uh, remember this. Yeah, they called it cross-stitch. You remember cross-stitch? Is, is that still around? It's, you know, it's an embroidery kind of thing. Uh, but it was embroidery for amateurs is what it was. So anyway, I found this. Uh, some of you master cross-stitchers, I just offended you, and I come see me after the service, and I'll forgive you. But, uh, uh, but I found this thing, and I thought it would be simple, and I cross-stitched it. And, and so I, you know, I 
I did it. And I, all night I spent time doing this thing. And when Kim came in the next morning, I was so proud. And I held it up and I, and I said, look what I did last night. And I saw the look on her face. She kind of went, Kim does not have a poker face. I admit if she played poker, you would win every time. What's her tell? <laughs> I mean, she just, she just doesn't have one. And so that's what she did. She went, well, I was kind of proud of it. I thought, well, it wasn't that bad. And then I realized that I had handed it to her upside down. Now, they tell me really good cross-stitch people, it looks the same on the backside as it does the front. Mine didn't. My strings were going all over the place. On the, now, you turned it over. It didn't look bad on the front. You could tell what it was on the front. But, but it hit me when I realized what was going on. We're looking at the backside of Pastor Jim's cross-stitch. We get to heaven, we'll go, oh, man. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, when I get to heaven, can I pull Jesus off to the side and ask him all these questions I've got? And I always say, well, sure, he'd be glad to answer them for you, but it ain't going to take 10,000 years to get your questions out because you're going to go up there and go, oh. <laughs> right? Because you get to the other side and you see the right side of the cross stitch. Job understood that everything we have is a gift from God. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 21 and 2. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. The name of the Lord be praised. In other words, whatever I have, I have it because of God's grace. And even if he takes away, he's still worthy of my praise. In all this, the scripture says, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Did you get that? Here's the way I look at it. Given what Jesus has already done for us on Calvary, what else does he need to do for us to praise him? What, how many more gifts does he need to give you for you to consider him worthy of your Worship. If you want to be the kind of worshiper God seeks, you've got to accept reality, not just of what's happening, but how you feel about it. And second, you've got to honor him in the midst of it, even when you don't understand what he's doing. Number three, principle number three, is you've got to let God and his family in. Most of the content of the book of Job, in case you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to read it, but most of it is just a collection of things said by his friends and, and family. I'll tell you now, in case, again, in case you haven't read it, uh, most of the advice they gave him was horrible. <laughs> it was just really bad advice. They were just so off. Even his own wife said in Job chapter 2, verse 9, are you still maintaining your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Somebody said the only thing that Satan didn't take away from Job was a nagging wife. <laughs> Solomon apparently had a few of those in his 300 wives and 700 concubines too because he wrote in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15 and 16, a nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. Guys, don't look at your wife right now. Stop doing that. I will throw in just for free. You don't put any extra in the offering for this one. 
Nagging doesn't work. It just alienates. Affirmation works. We'll unpack that one day, but I just thought I'd throw that in for free. The point is this. If you have a friend going through a hard time right now, don't, don't pontificate. Don't illustrate. Don't act all smart. Just love them. Just be there for them. Okay? Kim and I have a friend who went to be with the Lord just this year. She was a kindergarten teacher for many, many years, and she had a sign on her wall that has impacted me profoundly since I saw it almost 30 years ago. She said, 20 years from now, my students won't remember what I said. They will remember how I made them feel. And that's true for friends, too. Job's wife and most of his friends were more interested in sounding smart than they were in caring about how Job actually felt. But one of his friends actually had some pretty good advice. Job chapter 5, verse 8, Eliphaz says this, If I were you, I'd appeal to God. I'd lay my cause before him. Can, can I tell you that one of Satan's favorite tactics when you're hurting, when you're going through a hard time, is he will whisper in your ear, God doesn't care what you're going through, and your church family doesn't either. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've heard him say it before. Hello? Is it true? But hear me, guys, I've got to warn you. If you listen, you will start to think, well, they say they want to help, but they don't really want to help. They ask me if there's anything to do, but they don't really want to do anything. In fact, I'm just going to handle this on my own. It's just better for me just to handle this by myself. I'm just not going to tell anybody even what's going on. I've seen so many people who find themselves in crisis, instead of turning to God through honest worship, they turn away from God. Well, who do you think's the author of that? The enemy of your soul. The accuser of the brothers. Well, I was just hurting so bad, I just couldn't go to church. Well, where do you think your help's coming from? It's relationship with God and his family. And hear me, when we buy into that junk, when we buy into those lies, Satan laughs all the way to the depression bank. You find yourself isolated and alone. In fact, there was one time when Jesus was out teaching about the cost of following him. There were some people that actually said to him, I, you know, it's going to cost me something. I'm not going to follow you. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, well, are, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where would we go? You have the words of life. Peter got it. I know some of you are hurting, but, but where would you go if you went away from God in your pain? To some substance that would allow you to escape for a while? To some unhealthy relationship that ultimately will cause more damage to your life? To some isolationist place at home where you Block everybody who cares, build a wall to protect yourself, and in the process, block out everybody who cares. I mean, where would you go when you're hurting, if not to the Lord? Because nobody can give you the comfort and the strength and the power 
that God can. David got it. David understood it. Psalm 37, 23 and 4. The Lord makes the firm steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. Though he may stumble, he, may, he will not fall. Though he may get bad news, it won't take him out. Though he may run into a circumstance he doesn't like or understand or he doesn't know fully what God's doing, God will not let him collapse. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. One of the things that that I love about our church is that we got a bunch of owners that understand this. We got a bunch of people who get it, and even though we live in a sin-cursed world, and even though times can be hard, this is where they come. This is where they flock. They want to be in the presence of God. They want to be in the presence of His people. They get it. We have one member of our church who's going through a very difficult time right now, and we recently asked her if she'd be willing to share her testimony on video. So turn your attention to the screens. Let's pick up this story right quick. It illustrates what I'm trying to say. Hi, my name is Cindy Cooler. I'm happy to be able to be here with you today to share my testimony and what God has, has done and is doing in my life. Uh, Back in April, my family, we were all excited because we were getting ready to close on our home. With that and with work and uh, everything we were preparing for, I was going through an illness. Um, wasn't quite sure what it was. I was going back and forth to different doctors and, and the only thing I had been told was severe gastritis, which I took medication for and it didn't do anything. And a week later, I went to the ER at Duke University Hospital. My husband actually had an appointment at two. I wanted to get there early. So I decided to take off on my own and drive myself to the ER at Duke, which gave me plenty of time to talk to God. <clears throat> I remember one of the things I said to him when we were trucking down 40 was, I don't know what's in store, but I know you do. And no matter what, what transpires here today, I accept it and I will glorify you and all that I do and I will share with you, share you with as many people as I possibly can. Where we found out that I was stage four gastric cancer. <laughs> and that was hard for us to take. But immediately I began to pray and uh, talk to God because I know that he already knew this day was coming. He was already preparing me. I know with, with certainty that Jesus can heal me. And uh, that's what I pray for, a healing. And that healing can come in many forms. It could come here on earth or it could come when he receives me into heaven. But I also understand that sometimes God's will is not our will. And sometimes there's things that we have to go through. <laughs> it doesn't mean that God is not there. Um, every day, you know, I deal with different things on a daily basis. Some days are more challenging than others, like today. But when I have those days, I have to stop and I have to pray. And I pray and I just say, thank you, God, for all the blessings that you give me. Because I look around and I see my beautiful home and, and my children and all those blessings that I have and 
out of the 45 years that I've been here, everything that God has given to me and my family, there's no way that I can sit and be sorry for myself. Do I have a bad illness? Yes. Uh, God allowed me to have that illness. Why? I'm not sure. But I know he has his reasons. And over time, we'll see what they may be. But one thing I do know is that I serve a merciful God. I serve a great, gracious God. And he will bless continue to bless me and my family through this he will be here to help us endure whatever we have to endure and when it's over whether I'm here or gone he will continue to bless in ways through my family or others he is not just going to abandon us I see so many people who when they see a good person die they think where was God God was right there he was right there beside them holding his hand he's always there it's just a matter of where are we at he doesn't walk away from us we walk away from him and I just can't imagine how hard it would be for someone to go through what I'm going through and not have God in their life to not have Jesus right there to help them through it because I can tell y'all even when you see me as a picture of strength it's not easy and it's not something that I would want my worst enemy to go through. But I know that Jesus is there every moment. And what gets me through it is in my hardest times, I look at all of his blessings that he gives me each and every day. So now here I am with a terminal illness. And, and to me, I feel that opens me up to more people that I could relate with and talk with and share God with and that's what it's all about not what we do here on earth on a day-to-day -day basis but what we work towards as uh, where are we going to spend our eternity and when I stand in judgment I want I want to know that I had done things right that that I'm standing in judgment. I'd love to be able to look down a line and someone say, you know, there's your fruit or there's your fruit. What I can tell you mainly through this is if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, find him, get a relationship with him, help that relationship grow, share your experiences with others, share Jesus with others. And I can tell you when devastation hits, and you have Christ, He is right there in the midst, and He will help you and your family and anyone else through every single moment. He will not abandon you. I wake up every morning, and I know that cancer is there. You know, doctors, they didn't just say, you had cancer, they said it's everywhere in your abdomen. And when you wake up in the morning and you feel it and you know it's there, it's difficult, but God is there for me. And that's when I pray and say, you know, thank you, God, for waking me up. Thank you for my help. I just worship Him. Even in the hardest time of my life, I worship Him. And I'm telling you that do that. Worship Him whenever it doesn't even make sense to worship Him. When you're at your lowest and worst point in life, take the time to to worship him worship that one that gives us life and 
and the one that is there for us to endure each and every moment in that life. I look at it like this. There's a lot of people out there who think they have the whole rest of their lives ahead of them a long time. But honestly, we none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, we're never promised tomorrow. And I, sometimes I look at it as I have been given a gift of knowing that, hey, something's coming. <laughs> you know, we don't know when. So go ahead and get it right. And that's what I want to do. I want to use this illness and what's what's happening with me and with my family, even though it's hard and it can be frightening. You have to trust and have faith in the good Lord that he's going to pull us through this and we're going to be better for it. One day we'll be at the end of this chapter and I'd like to be able to say <laughs> that I share God with as many people as I possibly could and to thank him for allowing him to use me with this illness to help others. How do you do that? How do you worship in the midst of that? The only way I know is to accept reality, not just of what's happening, but how you feel. Honor God in the midst of it. Let him in, him and your family. Let them in. And finally, fourth principle, I'm going to close because i got nothing left to give you. We need to pray. Is you got to think eternity. That's what Cindy just said to us. You've got to think eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What you're going through, what Cindy's going through may not seem light or momentary, but the reality is that in the light of forever, it is. And earth is preparation for the forever that is before us. Our hope is not built on how things go in this life at any given moment. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So join me like Job did so many years ago. Read these words out loud. Let yourself hear yourself saying them. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. You said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So here we are, getting real with each other about the reality of living in a world that's cursed by sin. 
and yet having this deep desire to be spirit and truth worshipers, the kind God seeks. So speak to us all in the stillness of this moment and help us, Lord, to take those words of Job to heart. I know my Redeemer lives. And help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm not going to hold you, but I do want to give you a chance to pray a prayer with me. The altars will be open after the service. I'd love for you to come and pray with us here, but at the very least, would you pray a simple prayer with me now? It's an honest one. Pray it out loud. Pray it silently. Pray it in your own words if you like, but go something like this. Like this. Jesus, there's junk in my life I don't like. I'm just going to be honest with you about it. Some stuff I don't like. Wish it was different. But I know you love me. I believe you have good plans for me. I believe you want to bless me, not just now, but forever. And I want to be found faithful. No matter what those circumstances are, help me. Help me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, congratulations. He heard your words. He heard your heart. And you just took a huge step toward becoming the kind of worshiper the Father seeks, the kind of worshiper the Father blesses. Again, it's easy to do that when everything's going well. But when we do it during the hard times of life, We bring a smile to the heart of God. Would you stand with me as we close our service today?